Barbara Rainey has some advice for wives. She says, when your husband messes up, and by the way, he will, when it happens, how you respond may determine whether he learns anything from his mistake or not. If you rail on him, and if you criticize him, and you tell him how stupid it was that he made that decision, he may not learn the lesson that God wanted for him, and he may have to repeat it again. So the best thing that a wife can do is trust God, even when it's hard, and ask God to use it for good in their life, and that God would use it to grow him in that area where he just blew it royally. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey. I'm Bob Lapine. The words you say as a wife have profound power in your marriage. We'll examine that subject today with Barbara Rainey. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Friday edition. Have you ever stopped to ponder who you would be if you had either, A, been single all your life, or B, if you had married somebody other than Barbara? Yeah, I guess I have, because I tried to marry a young lady uh, from SMU uh, before Barbara and I started uh, dating and and uh, she you, didn't, you, you proposed. She didn't want to marry me. Uh, no, no, it wasn't. It, it was wasn't it was at clear that point, clear but, enough that you didn't. Uh, but, but there was a DTR, a define the relationship. Uh-huh. That uh, how she defined it, and I defined it. <laughs> <laughs> Thumbs down, baby. <laughs> Thumbs down. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're out of here. <laughs> and it was good because. Uh, uh, yeah, I, it was okay because I wasn't in search of a myth. I was wanting a real relationship with a real person. Back to the previous part of the question, though, Bob, have I ever thought about who I'd be if I hadn't married Barbara and was single? And I have. I don't visit that picture very often because that that's a horror film. Pretty ugly. <laughs> <laughs> She laughed. She's laughing real hard because she she knows what happened behind the curtain. What, what, are you are you saying amen to that? Is that what that no, laughter? Oh, I just think that's funny that he said it would be a horror film. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would be that bad. Well, I, I don't know what you you would compare marriage to. That teaches you how to love. That instructs you in how to sacrifice for another person. To. Um, care for, to cherish, to nourish, and call you away from yourself and force. I mean, if you're going to do marriage God's way, it is the greatest discipleship tool that has ever been created in the history of the universe. It demands that both a husband and a wife pick up their cross, follow Christ, deny themselves, and ask God, okay, God, what do you want me to do in this set of circumstances? And that's true. It works both ways for husbands and wives. But our focus this week is on the responsibility a wife has, the the privilege she has, the assignment she has from God to be the helper that he's created her to be. And Barbara, we're, we're talking about some of the themes that are found in your book, Letters to My Daughters. Some women recoil at the idea that they're called to be helpers. It sounds demeaning to them. Your book affirms that it's a noble thing that God's calling wives to. It is a very noble 
assignment that God has given us. It's equally noble, I think, to the calling that God has put on a man's life, too. And what makes it even better is that together, marriage is a high and holy calling. It says that in Scripture. It also says that it's a mystery. And I think that's the part that we wish God hadn't said about it, because it would be nice if it was a little bit more black and white, more obvious. But God says it's a mystery. And God is an artist, God is an author. God didn't make robots. And so figuring this out, this uniqueness, this relationship that Dennis and I have that's unlike anybody else's relationship on the planet, just as your marriage with Marianne is unlike anybody else's on the planet, the ingenuity of God to create these little duos all over the planet that represent Him that are a picture of Christ in the church. All of that mystery is profound and baffling, and we wish sometimes that marriage was a whole lot easier, but it illustrates that it is a very high and noble calling, and we think it's drudgery, we think it's dispensable, and it's not. Yeah, and in the book that Barbara has written called Letters to My Daughters, The Art of Being a Wife, you quote Mike Mason, and speaking of mysteries, he wrote a book called The Mystery of Marriage, and this comes from that book. He says this, love convinces a couple that they are the greatest romance that has ever been, that no two people have ever loved as they do, and that they will sacrifice absolutely anything in order to be together. And then I love the conclusion to the statement. It says, and then marriage asked them to prove it. Hmm. Well, that's what's at stake. You got this noble relationship that wasn't created by man. It was created by Almighty God. His image is stamped all over a marriage that seeks to follow his blueprints for what he wants us to do. He's trying to teach us how to love, how to love sacrificially, how to give up our lives on behalf of another. And uh, you're never going to be able to do it if you try to have it your way. I would love for you to expand on something that I just had to stop and ponder it for a second. You said what a wife believes about her husband is the starting place for everything she says or doesn't say about her husband. Mm -hmm. And what you believe about Dennis is the starting place for everything you say or don't say about him. Correct. Unpack that for me. Well, let me explain something about photography that I think will help answer your question for you. Anybody who has ever used a 35-millimeter camera that has a lens that you turn so that you can focus understands the principle that the person who is holding the camera chooses what's going to be in that image. You can choose a broad panorama, and you can get as much in that frame as you can get. Or you may choose to tighten that zoom lens and focus on somebody's eyes only. So you've got great choice as the photographer in what you're going to get in that lens of the camera. And the same is true in marriage. I have complete control over what people know about my husband. So if I'm talking about Dennis and I talk about his faults or I talk about how crummy it is that he just doesn't ever do this, and I just think it's terrible that he doesn't ever do that, anybody who hears that description that I just made of him will think of him that way. When they think of him, they're going to remember that. But on the other hand, if I choose to leave that out, 
of the description, and instead I choose to describe for my friends or my small group or wherever I'm talking about him, and I say, you know, one of the things I appreciate so much about Dennis is that he really makes our family a priority. Yeah, he travels. Yeah, sometimes he has to stay late and work. Um, Sometimes he's gone on the weekends, but I know that his heart is to make our family a priority. That's focusing the lens of my camera on what is good and what is right about my husband. And if he knows that I'm saying that about him, he's going to want to live up to that expectation. So some wives will hear you say that and say, you want me to airbrush my husband. You want me just to brush away and pretend like all those flaws that are there just don't exist and just pretend like he's better than he is. Okay, and I would say to her... How does God see you? Is God pointing out to you the hundreds of things that you do wrong every day? Mm, I don't think so. He's very gentle and very gracious, and he shows us one thing at a time that we do wrong. And I just think that, okay, you want to call it airbrushing? All right, I'll take that. It may be airbrushing, but I would rather focus on what he does right than what he does wrong. Because when I focus on what he does wrong, and I have done that, All I can see are the things that he does wrong. They grow, and they just become these huge things, and I become obsessed with everything that's wrong and everything he's not doing that's right. And that's not fun. I don't like that about me. I don't want him to be focusing on all my weaknesses and all my flaws. I don't want him talking about my weaknesses and flaws to other people because I am i don't like them. I don't want to be known for what is wrong with me. I want to be known for what I do well and what I do right. And so the same is true for him. So, I, yeah, I, I airbrush it. I don't talk about the things that he does wrong or his weaknesses or his flaws. That's for him to deal with before the Lord. That's not my business. That's his business. You're not living in denial about no. those things. That doesn't no. mean that the airbrush doesn't get turned off at a point in, uh, and the flaws are exposed. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, or that I talk about them with him yeah. from and, time to time. And you're not being unrealistic about no. the nature of your relationship. But I think what I hear you saying, and, and this goes back to where we started, what a wife says about her husband is going to begin with what she's thinking about her husband. Correct. And she can choose Correct. whether to dwell on all of his flaws, or whether to set her mind on mm-hmm. those things that are his virtues. And every husband's got mm-hmm. at least a couple of them, right? Well, if he doesn't, why did you marry him? I mean, all of us got married because we admired something about this man that we fell in love with. So focus on those things. I remember years and years ago when we were in a new church that we were a part of. It was a fairly small church, and we had this community group of other couples that we met together every couple of weeks. And I remember standing in a small group of maybe three, maybe four of us, and this wife started talking about her husband, and she was talking negatively about her husband. And I'll never forget that uncomfortable feeling that all of us in that little tiny circle felt. We just felt kind of ouch, like, ooh, that that hurts. I, I don't know that I want to hear that about your husband. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw him standing not that far away. Mm-hmm. And I think he heard what she said. Mm. And I just, I've never forgotten that 
picture, even though it was probably 30 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, but it was a long time ago, because I saw what the power of her words did. I saw what it did to me. It made me as a listener uncomfortable. It made me wonder about him as a man. And then when I saw that he heard, it was it was like an ice pick to his heart. And I realized how powerful our words are as wives. So my whole intention in in what I share in this chapter about this is to help women understand that your words are very, very significant. And those who hear them are going to be influenced by what we say. There's a, there's a proverb that is uh, so applicable here, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, mm-hmm. and those who love it will eat its fruits. So you literally have the opportunity to use your tongue like a paintbrush to paint a positive picture or like an ice pick to tear another person down. And to the woman who's listening to us, or for that matter, a man who may be listening in right now, if, if you're a critical person, if you're negative, you need to ask God to do a work in your soul. You know, no one wants to be in the corner of an attic with a cranky woman or a cranky man who is bitter and negative and all they can do is find fault. That's not who you want to grow old with. What you need to ask is you need to ask God to do a work in your soul and to help release you from being critical of your husband or your your, your wife and find a way to begin to focus on as Barbara's calling uh, women to do here to focus on that which is positive in their spouse. Why you married them in the first place, and what you like about them, and brag on your wife, brag on your husband, in in front of the kids. One of the things Dennis has shared over the years, you've heard him say it. Your belief in him mm-hmm. has been massive in terms of of his confidence in doing what God's called him to do. I'm just wondering. Was that just natural to express belief in him? Was that did, was that just something that came instinctively to you? Or were you conscious and deliberate about saying, I need to verbalize to him. I need to, to express confidence in him. The answer is yes to both. Because I think most of us women, when we first get married, we marry this guy because we believe in him. We think he's the greatest most women marry with those thoughts, those feelings, those emotions. And I think that what happens is that when we do get disillusioned and we do find discouragements and we butt heads because we're different, um, that belief can come down with it. And so then that's when it becomes a choice. So in the beginning, it was real easy for me to believe in him because I just did believe in him. It's why I married him. But then there become those times farther into the relationship when belief becomes a choice. So rather than expressing, uh, and it's not that I don't express fear, it's not that I don't express anxiety, because I express plenty of that. But the bottom line is, in the end, no matter what, I believe in you, I believe that God is at work in your life and in our marriage, and I believe that God is going to see us through this, and I'm going to be with you there to the bitter end. And what I'd want a woman to know is no matter how competent and confident Mm -hmm. a man looks, uh, whether he's young or whether he's older, it does not matter. Uh, There isn't a man within the reach of my voice right now over over the radio across the country who doesn't need his wife's steady and certain words of affirmation and belief. 
He needs it. I don't care if he says nothing to you when you say it. The words are sinking and soaking into his soul because there are not that many people in a lifetime. In fact, I'd ask the question, is there anyone who goes a lifetime with you and who believes in you all the way to the end? The answer is, who would it be? Yeah. Who's going to do that? That's the nature of marriage when you say, I take you till death do us part, for better, for worse, in riches and in and being poor. And um, uh, wow, it's it's the payoff. Mm-hmm. It's not always easy. I didn't. We're not trying to paint some kind of rosy picture here, but it is a necessity. There has to have been a time, and I don't know if it'll come to mind immediately for you or not, but a time when you were facing a decision and you were thinking, I think we should do this. And Dennis was thinking, no, I think we should do this. And you said, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. And it turned out that it would have been better off if you'd have done it your way. I'm just wondering for a wife in that situation where she goes, I think this is the right thing to do. The husband says, we're going this way. They go down a dead end. And the wife finds herself in that moment thinking, if he'd have just listened to me, we'd be in a lot better shape right now than we are. What does she do in that moment? Well, I can't think of a specific time, but there have been times, like, for instance, driving in the car when uh, he would choose to go one way, and I'm thinking, I don't think that's the right way. (laughs) And sure enough, it wasn't. That hasn't happened very often, but it's happened. Um, I remember one time earlier in our marriage when we were discussing a financial decision, and I don't remember thinking it was a bad decision at the time, But um, it was a bad decision, and it cost us financially. But regardless, it doesn't really matter if it's a big thing or a small thing, because the choice is still the same in the end for a wife. And that is, even when he makes bad decisions, and he will, um, when he decides to do things that will cost you, and he will, will you still believe in him? Will you still trust God? Will you put your faith in God's sovereignty that God can turn this into good in his life? Maybe that's exactly what he needed to experience to grow in the way God wanted him to grow. And if you rail on him and if you criticize him and you tell him how stupid it was that he made that decision— He may not learn the lesson that God wanted for him, and he may have to repeat it again. So the best thing that a wife can do is trust God, even when it's hard, and ask God to use it for good in their life, and that God would use it to grow him in that area where he just blew it royally. Because men are going to make big mistakes, but it's how we respond to that mistake that will make the difference in whether or not he benefits from it or he he can't benefit from it because he's been beat up by his wife. This is not an easy message for a lot of listeners to hear, but I just want you to comment on why you decided to write a book that is called Letters to My Daughters to call them to the art, the biblical art of being a wife, because you're calling them to mm-hmm. a high standard. Mm-hmm. These are our daughters and our daughters in law. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to do that? Well, I think our culture has lost the vision for what marriage can be, what it was intended to be. And yes, we've all seen countless examples of marriage done the wrong way, but that doesn't mean marriage is broken. It means the people are broken that are in it. And I want 
the next generation to understand that marriage is really worth working on. It is transformative. It's redemptive. It's holy. Um, there are so many good things about marriage, but we don't see those good things commonly in our culture. We see all the negatives. I tell the story about what would it be like if you went to the Louvre Museum in Paris with all these great, magnificent artworks, and what if while you were standing in line to get your ticket, there was an earthquake And after you got your ticket, you walked in, and half of these masterpieces were lying on the floor. There were still half of them on the wall. There were still statues and all these magnificent things around. What would your eyes be drawn to? Your eyes would be drawn to the tragedy, to the loss, to the broken pieces laying all over the floor. And I think that's a picture of our culture. We see all these wrecked marriages. We see these abused women. We see these lost men. We see the damaged children. And we just think, marriage is hopeless. Why should I even try? And what I want to do in this book is say, Look at what's on the wall. Look at what God has said. Look what God has designed. That is our goal. Don't get distracted by the broken pieces. It's tragic. It's wrong. It's sad. But the institution of marriage is still worthy. It's still worth striving for. And God didn't make a mistake when he made marriage. We're the ones who are messing it up. And Bob, I think about what Barbara is challenging people with is just because people have failed, don't give up on what the Bible, the transcendent beauty and model of the scriptures and what it's calling us to be as human beings and to call us away from our selfishness, to call us to the biblical model of following Jesus Christ and training our kids to do the same. I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot on the line in every marriage that's listening to us right now. Generations are on the line. Your children, the best picture of what they'll ever see apart from the scriptures of what a real marriage ought to be is your marriage. Mm -hmm. Even in its imperfections, it can display what Barbara's talking about, the nobility, the grandeur. And and your kids will see something that they're going to say, you know what? Mom and dad could have ended it, but they didn't. They experienced the redemption of Jesus Christ. And I want what they've got. When I get married, I want one of those. And I'm not going to settle for anything less. And the way they get it is by absorbing your teaching about Jesus Christ and following him and deciding to make their parents' faith their own. But that means the parents need to have it first. Yeah, this is something I know you guys are are writing about right now in the book, The Art of Parenting, that's going to be out in a few months. It's a part of what we talk about in... Family Life's Art of Parenting video series that's available now. Uh, The priority of your marriage for the long-term health of your children. It's vital. It's where it all begins. And I'd encourage listeners, if you haven't checked out The Art of Parenting, the video series is available right now. There's also an online course. You can check it out when you go to familylifetoday.com. Of course, we've got Barbara's book, Letters to My Daughters. That's available as well. You can order it from us online at familylifetoday.com, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to get a copy of Letters to My Daughters. Again, our website, familylifetoday.com. If you have any questions about any of these resources, call us at 1-800-358-6329. It's 1-800-F as in family, L as in life, and then the word today.
Let me take just a minute here and say thank you to those of you who became legacy partners during the month of May. We don't have the final numbers today, but we're so grateful to have heard from so many people all across the country and some of the stories you shared. Thank you for just sharing with us how God's used family life in your life. And I know that's the reason that a lot of you have become regular contributors to this ministry because God's used family life today in your life, our events, our resources, our website, this program. So thank you for helping us make this possible for others by becoming one of our legacy partners. We're grateful for that. And uh, we do appreciate your ongoing support for this ministry. Keep praying for us, if you will. And we hope you have a great weekend. Hope you and your family are able to worship together in your local church this weekend. And I hope you can join us back on Monday when we're going to talk about what you do if the family you came from had serious dysfunction. I mean, all of us had some level of dysfunction, right? But what if you came from a broken family? How do you start something new? Elizabeth Oates is going to be with us, and we hope you can be here as well. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.